0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Let me talk to you for a minute about one of my favorite products ever. A product that I bought myself long before we had any relationship with this company on this podcast. I'm talking about the Peloton, of course. I love my Peloton. And you will too. Especially if you have a busy schedule and you're working all day and you're running around for others. There are up to 14 new classes added every single day. There are over 8,000 on demand personally i am approaching 400 rides i absolutely love the product love it and you will too the peloton bike comes with a 22 inch hd touchscreen it's beautiful there is a near silent belt drive so it's super quiet and it's got a compact 2x4 footprint so you can fit this thing into your living room or even in your office mine is in my office at home and it fits beautifully Bring the cycling studio to you with Peloton's cutting edge indoor cycling bike. There are no more excuses. Peloton is offering you a limited time offer. Go to onepeloton.com and enter the code ROME at checkout. Get $100 off accessories with your Peloton bike purchase. Get a game changing workout at home anytime you want. That's one o n e peloton.com and use the code ROME and get started. I'm telling you, I love this product. You'll love yours, too.
2: You know, they incorporated the Europeans into the British and Irish side. Then it became—I'm sorry, that's my uh, room service there. <laughs> um, it became uh, a good deal more important, uh, I think.
1: Um, hey, David, I, David, I don't want you to go hungry. If you want to pick that up, you should.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 don't worry about it. I've lost a little weight, but I could lose a little more. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. This is episode 55, and my guest is David Faraday. David Faraday is more than just a world-class golf broadcaster. He is a former tour pro who won 10 times around the world. He was a member of the 1991 European Ryder Cup team. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is the host of the hit TV series, Faraday. And he has an amazing one-man show. It's called Faraday Off Tour. David Faraday is one of the most beloved people in all of sports media and somebody I've known for a long time. And the conversation that we had is amazing. We talked about golf. We talked about life. We talked about his battle with sobriety and the tragic loss of his beloved son, Shay. This is a conversation that I will always cherish and a conversation that I am very proud to share. Episode 55 with David Faraday starts right now. My man, with your TV show, your work with NBC, David, your stand-up show, your speaking gigs, your work with Troops First, and more, you are a very, very busy man. David, it is so good to have you on this podcast. How are things? How is your life right now?
2: Oh, it's great, Jimmy. Uh, I'm uh, delighted to be here and to be talking to you again. You know, it's been too long.
1: David, it has been a long time, so it's good to have you here. I've got so much I want to talk to you about, but I want to start with your live show. You have a live show called Faraday Off Tour. It's a stand-up show. David, this is not an easy thing to do. How did this come to be, and what's it like doing it?
2: Well, first of all, it's a a lot of fun doing it, It, Jim. I'm, I'm terrified before I get on stage. It's a two-hour show, and uh, you know, just the prospect of you know trying to hold an audience and trying to make them laugh for two hours is, is sort of daunting. But the, once the bell rings, um, I, I've been fine so far. I've done more than a hundred shows across the country, and uh, the, the way that it started really was uh, I, I was doing a speaking engagement in Canada. And uh, there's a a promoter uh, uh, called Brad Jones up there that promotes Jeff Dunham and Larry the Cable Guy and a few others or some country artists that was in the audience. And he asked me, uh, you know, if I'd ever thought about doing it, you know, in in front of an audience, you know, that's what I thought I was doing. But, uh, you know, he said, no, in a theater. so (laughs) I I hadn't. And and we did uh, a couple to start off with in Canada, one in Edmonton and one in Calgary, and uh, th- this was in November and December of about four years ago. So uh, it was minus 20, and I'm not sure that people had anything else to do <laughs> except come and watch me, uh, but there were 12 or 1,400 of them showed up, and it's been just a blast from, from there on.
1: Now, David, you, in all sincerity, you are one of the funniest, most engaging, talented people I've ever come across. Exactly, and I understand where people have a fear of public speaking and getting up in front of others, but you are so engaging. What is it that's terrifying to you about this?
2: Well, I, I'm i am frightened, Jim, uh, and I, I think most performers are to a certain extent. But, uh, it, you know, the thought that this might be the, the night that I freeze up or or forget what I was going to say or you just never know Uh, and you have to be on your toes uh, you know all the time and and thinking and um, I you know in in my personal life and whatever I'm I'm not really great at that um, at times but then again it doesn't really matter because you know you've got plenty of time to stumble and you know think about it but when you're on stage and it's just you and it's and a microphone, and a a spotlight, and and there are, you know, 12 or 1,500 people there. That's an entirely different prospect. You know, so it's just daunting. And um, like I said, you know, it it sort of scares the living daylights out of me uh, until, you know, I get on stage and and get a hold of the audience uh, and, you know, feel like, you know, I'm I'm in charge of them. And and that's the huge buzz, uh, I I think, when it comes to... uh, You know, entertaining people. Uh, You you see it with comedians or with actors. You know, all the time. You know, there's a high that comes with it. That uh, you know, I've had a lot of highs in my life and a lot of lows, and uh, this is one that that really satisfies me and, and makes me feel better about myself.
1: Good for you, David. So, when is the next show, and how do people get tickets for the shows?
2: Well, if you go to um, feherdyofftour. dot com, uh, you, you can get uh, you'll get all the details for it. feherdyofftour. dot com. And um, uh, the next show, I think, is I've got three in Ohio coming up. I've got Cincinnati, and uh, boy, now you're asking me. <laughs> I don't, I don't really pay much attention. I just show up, and. Um, this But I've got three in Ohio, then um, I'm doing one in Myrtle Beach for, for Kelly Tillman, who, who used to work for the Golf Channel. That's a charity uh, deal, you know, that uh, I really care about uh, a lot. I was in Kansas City last night uh, and did a, a kind of a private show for uh, Children's Mercy Hospital there. And uh, those are the ones that uh, are, are really satisfying.
1: Good for you, David. We have a lot of listeners in the state of Ohio, so I know they're going to come out and they're going to support you. This is just one of many things you're doing right now. But if we were to go way back to where and how it all started, when you were growing up, what did you want to do? What did you want to be?
2: You know, uh, I uh, I really only had two options um, uh, as a child. I uh, I was a hopelessly attention deficit uh, child and, and didn't really know Uh, you know, 40, you know, 45 years ago, nobody had a a clue what the hell, you know, ADD was. But uh, And it's only when I had my own sons tested here in the United States that I understood that, uh, you know, it was like looking in a mirror. And I thought, well, that's what was wrong with me. You know, I couldn't pay attention to things that didn't interest me. Um, And, uh, you know, I I loved music and I loved English. And those were the two things that I excelled at. And everything else, you know, I just sucked. Um, I, I couldn't uh, pass an exam to save my life. So I, I actually wanted to be an opera singer. Uh but uh, you know, in my late teens, um, I left school at seventeen years old, you know, after hearing myself uh sing and I thought, Well that's the last thing the world needs is another mediocre Irish tenor hammered clutching the bar and butchering Danny boy. And uh, really the uh, the only other thing that I was interested in was golf. And um, I had a, a a five handicap at uh, at 17 years old. And when I look back on it now, uh, it was a miracle that uh, that I ever got good enough to, to have any kind of a professional career. But it's the second career that, that has really astonished me. And the fact that I've been in the United States, there's nowhere else in the world that this could happen to anybody. Uh, it's been amazing for me, and I, I love it.
1: David, your second career really has been something. It's been... It has been amazing, and I really am eager to talk to you about that. But talk for a few moments about your first career. Fact of the matter is, you did turn pro at 17. You played for the European squad in the Ryder Cup. So let me start right there. What was it like to play in the Ryder Cup? And was there anybody that anything that anybody could have said to have prepared you for what was coming?
2: Uh, no, I don't think there was anything that anybody could have said. And oddly enough, I'm actually in Kiowa Island right mm. now. Um, you know, for, uh, for a speaking engagement, which was the, the you know, the site of, of the 91 Ryder Cup, the only Ryder Cup that I played in. Um, it, it was, uh, I think it was the first Ryder Cup that really captured the attention of the American public. It was, uh, the, the one where it came down to the, the final match, uh, uh, on the, on the last day, on the last green, where Bernhard Langer and, and Hale Irwin, Bernhard missed that, uh, five or six footer. And if he'd made it, then the Cup would have come back with, uh, this is when I was a European. Now, now I'm an American, and it sort of pisses off me and my uh, old European colleagues that, that I support the U.S. Ryder Cup team. But, uh, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag and anybody who fights underneath it. So, uh, you know, I love to see the Americans do well. Um, yeah, And that was one where, uh, you know, Bernard missed the putt. And uh, the Cup stayed in the United States. And uh, even though I was a part of a losing team, it was, an, it was a huge high point in, in my career. And, and when I think of uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in Paris, you know, covering the Ryder Cup there, um, I've been to pretty much every one since 91. And I don't think I've been in an atmosphere anything like there was in Paris and again, you know, we, we, we didn't, uh, I'm on the other side now, and, and again, we didn't, lose, we didn't win uh, that event, but it was just amazing to be there and be in that crowd and, and be in that atmosphere once again. It's one of the great events in all of sports.
1: Hey, what are you doing this week? What are you doing this weekend? Are you looking to have a night out? Everybody loves a night out, whether it's seeing your favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on your favorite team, with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, a show, or sporting event of your choice at an amazing price. Vivid Seats is where you want to go. It's the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or you can look for seats in the section and row of your choice. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving you an exclusive promo code if you're a new customer and you can receive 10% off your first ticket order and save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use the promo code ROAM for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter the promo code ROAM, get your 10% off. Vivid Seats is where I go when I want my tickets. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. This is a tremendous company, and I'm proud to partner with them. Vivid Seats. Go back to Kiowa in 1991, and you were a big part of that. You beat Payne Stewart, who was the U.S. Open champion at that time, 2-1. and one. What do you remember about that day?
2: Yeah. You know, that, that, that was a day that uh, it's probably the best round of golf gym that I ever played. I was 4-up with 4-to-play, and uh, Payne... Uh, you know, didn't play particularly well uh, on that on that day, uh, but I played uh, out of my mind. But I lost two holes in a row. I lost 15 and I lost 16. And I went into a full flat-out panic, code brown, um, and the crowd control uh, had broken up in between 16 green and 17 tee, and there were just you know hordes of people slapping people on the back and chanting and singing and yelling and waving their signs, and there was a. A lady marshal that got in front of me, I, I was in, uh, I, I knew if I lost 17, uh, it was, uh, I was more than likely going to end up losing the last four holes. It was just one of those atmospheres and one of those moments. And uh, I, 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 like I said, I was panicking. And this, this marshal got in front of me, and she poked me in the chest with her quiet please sign and said, where, the, where do you think you're going? Like I was a heavily disguised spectator. <laughs> right. And I was about to go batshit crazy. Uh, with this when an arm came around my neck and Payne put his cheek just right on mine and I can still smell the red man from the plug that he had in his mouth and he had that idiot choir boy grin and he said, Man, i I'd love you to keep this asshole right here but he's playing against me. Wow. And he, he swept me up onto the 17th tee in his arm and that's that's who he was, Jim. Uh, you know, no Anybody else on that side probably would have let me stew and let me lose my temper, and probably let me lose the 17th as well. But that's not who Payne was. You know, he understood uh, the Ryder Cup and what, we, what it was about, and the sportsmanship. Uh, and uh, you know, I managed to, I think, half the uh, the 17th hole with him uh, and win that match. And th- there's a hole in the PGA Tour where he used to be that that uh, that'll never be filled. I miss him, uh, and especially when I'm in this area in the Low Country here. Um, I think about them all the time.
1: David, such a great story. Such a great, great story. And then you mentioned the atmosphere in Paris. You know, and you're an American citizen right now, and you admitted that you were rooting for the Americans, but the same thing happened to them that often happens almost every single time when they go over there. They get rolled yet again. Everybody's got a theory on this, but why does history repeat itself, in your opinion? Why can't the Americans win over there?
2: Okay. Well, when... When I was in, you know, I played 18 years in Europe, and, and we had only one major gym. It was the Open Championship. And people were judged. The players were judged not just by the amount of tournaments they'd won, but by what their Ryder Cup looked like, uh, what their Ryder Cup record was. Uh, and in this country, uh, people don't really think about it. It's starting to turn a little bit. You know, what kind of a Ryder Cup player were you? Never mind the amount of majors that you won. And, I mean, people are trying to, uh, you know, get a grasp. I think of you know just how uh, significant the event is. I mean, it's one of the great events in all of sports, and and it deserves to be taken a little more seriously. I think on this side of the Atlantic, and and I think that would translate to the players' attitude um, towards it. You know, they're starting to, to understand, uh, you know, what it means to have a good Ryder Cup record. And uh, I I think the pendulum uh, has swung towards the middle now, you know, and it'll go backwards and forwards. There was a long time there where, well, there there was forever when the British and Irish and and, and then the Europeans, you know, we lost pretty much all of the time. uh, And the event was in danger of becoming irrelevant. And then when Biostaris and Tony Jacklin, you know, in the late 70s, you know, they incorporated the Europeans into the British and Irish side. That it became, I'm sorry, that's my uh, room service there. Um, it became uh, a, a good deal more important, uh, I think. Um, hey, David, I, David,
1: I don't want you to go hungry. If you want to pick that up, you should. <laughs>
2: cool. Yeah. No, no, uh, don't worry about it. I'm, you know, I've lost a little weight, but I could lose a little more.
1: <laughs> Whatever you want. Whatever you want.
2: Yeah. But I think that's the reason, Jim um is that it, it doesn 't matter as much to the europeans as uh, sorry to the Americans as it does to the europeans i I think it 's getting there and it 's really very close um, i mean it 's not like they don 't try it 's not like they don 't care, but it just means more to the Europeans.
1: I can see that, certainly. David, I could talk to you at great length about your first career. I think your first career is fascinating. But in terms of your second career, you know, back in the day, you would come on and you and I would talk about your friendship and relationship with Gary McCord. When you first bumped into McCord, he asked you if you had ever done TV before, and you said no. He asked you if you wanted to, and you said, nah, I don't know, maybe not. But you did go on with him. What was that first appearance on TV like? How did that feel to you?
2: (laughs) Uh, that was at uh, at the international tournament in, in Castle Pines, and uh, Frank Turkinian, the legendary uh, producer, was uh, producing at the time for CBS, and McCord had actually asked him, look, I've got this buddy of mine who's Irish, and I think, you know, would be okay at this, you know, is it okay if he comes up in the tower and spends 30 minutes with me, you know, like calling and answering questions, and Frank said damn it, no, we don't want that Irish crick up there. God, <laughs> you know, because Frank knew me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, McCord said, uh, you know, he gave me the thumbs up, and he said, yeah, he said it was okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, so I got up there unbeknownst, uh, you know, to me, and, and unbeknownst to Frank as well. Um, and I, I did about an hour with McCord at that point, and Frank kind of softened. And But that was, like, maybe two or three years before, you know, I got the opportunity to uh, to say yes to a contract. You know, so I, I really do owe it, you know, to Gary. When I when I look back and and think about that, it was uh, it was a big uh, big move on his part. You know, to trust me, and and to sort of go against Frank's wishes.
1: David, he knew, though. I mean, Gary knew, or Gary had a sense, but then you did the show with him, and then he knew, and he said, look, this is going to be your next thing. So after that, you're sitting, as the story goes, you're sitting in a hotel bar. A couple of CBS producers approach you.
2: What did you think that they wanted? Oh, damn, yeah. I remember it. Uh, I was in the middle of a horrifying divorce at the time, and my my career had gone. My playing career was looking, uh, you know, details were sketchy on that one. Um, I was uh, drinking very heavily and taking, you know, maybe 15 or 20 in a day. Uh, I'd really become an addict and, uh, you know, my life, I was undiagnosed at the time, but, you know, severely depressed. And uh, two uh, gentlemen came across the bar uh, at the uh, at the Hilton in Fairlawn in Akron. I'd qualified for the World Series for some reason. I think I'd won a tournament in some communist company. I don't know where the hell it was. Um, and, uh, you know, one of them stuck his hand out, Lance Bauer, and he said, we're from CBS. And I thought, shit, 60 minutes. Yeah, this will be some fearless expose on, on drugs in sport or alcoholism in golf or something like that. And, um, you know, of course, it turned out not to be. They were looking for a replacement uh, or somebody that could uh, could fill in, you know, for, for Ben Wright, who had been fired Because of the aftermath of 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 the uh, you know the remarks he made about the LPGA tour and and the ladies, you know, if I recall correctly, he said, "Well, you know, women don't play golf as well as men because their boobs get in the way." And uh, (laughs) that's what he said. (laughs) That's what he said. Yeah, and I remember thinking at the time, "Well, fair enough. No, they can't be a help. And. you, as it turns out, you know, they wanted somebody to, to work, you know, on the ground. And initially, I said, uh, you know, I, I was 36 years old, Jim, and uh, I thought I had some golf left in me. And I said that, and then they told me how much they were going to pay me. I said, do you want to buy a set of clubs? Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was it for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not sure that I played the second round. I don't remember. Oh,
1: Give me a minute so I can talk to you about one of our partners, Dickies. Dickies is the number one brand in performance workwear, and Dickies knows work is more than just what you do. It's who you are. And just like professional athletes, your work is... Is judged by how you perform on that job. This is why Dickie's Flex work pants and shirts are engineered to give you superior mobility, advanced protection, and enhanced durability. And Dickie's Flex is backed with Dickie's unconditional satisfaction guarantee so you know that the Flex series is made to work as hard as you work. Dickie's Flex, engineered to move, engineered to last. Learn more at dickies.com. Once again, go to dickies.com. You and I, in years past, had talked about the battle with alcohol. How fierce of a battle was that? You once called yourself the Tiger Woods of drinking. What did you mean by that?
2: Yeah, it was, was and it still is a battle, Jim. Um, You know, I I lost my son uh, a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, um, I've really struggled since then. Uh, you know, I'm sober today, and uh, I hope I will be tomorrow. That's, uh, that, that's the way that it is. But it's an ongoing battle and uh, something that uh, I, I don't expect, you know, to uh, – it, it, never, it never gets better. It, it just gets older. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I know I'm never going to, you know, recover from it. But I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have such great friends, and and uh, you know people that love me and uh, and look after me, and they would throw themselves under the bus rather than see me, you know, go go down that road again, you know. And uh, uh, I, I've always been really grateful for that. Tom Watson, of course, you know, being being the lead character in that particular play.
1: In fact, in terms of that, David Tom Watson, can you? Why don't you share that story, if you don't mind? You were working an exhibition match on Prince Edward Island between Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas, and Watson told you something that you would later say changed your life. What did Tom tell you?
2: It did. um, I I was in the very depths uh, of my depression uh, at the time and uh, drinking probably a a bottle and a half, two bottles of whiskey a day and taking God knows how many painkillers. And it was Tom against Jack, and I was doing a, uh, an ex- I was the, the on course commentator for an exhibition match between the two of them. Um, and I'd interviewed Jack already, and Jack and Barbara were sitting behind me. And Tom and, and Hillary uh, were there. And I got Tom in front of the camera, and all I could think of was uh, you know, I wanted to get back to my room to the, to the bottle of pills and, and, and the bottle of whiskey uh, that I had there. And I asked Tom the first question, and and he looked at me kind of funny. And uh, he said, you're not well, are you? And he put his hand over the lens. And uh, I I didn't know what to say, Jim. Um, I looked at him. I said, no, I'm not. I said, how do you know? And he said, "Uh, I can see it in your eyes. And I I said, what do you see? And he said, I see my reflection. And I I didn't know uh, that Tom had a problem, and and very few people did at that time. He's been a lot more open uh, with it, you know, since. And uh, at at that point, you know, Tom said to me, he said, you need to come with me. I said, to where? Uh, He said, to Kansas City. And I said, well, you need two kayaks and a float plane to get to Toronto. (laughs) from here. How how the hell am I going to get to Kansas City? And I hear this voice behind me. Yeah, you need to go with him. You look like shit. <laughs> I'm being heckled by Jack Nicholas uh, and you know coaxed on by Tom Watson. Wow, you know, two of the most important people in my life because of that. And and Jack flew uh, me and 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 Tom to West Palm Beach the following day on his G5, and uh, I went with Tom uh, uh, to Kansas City and and spent two or three days there. Went to his meeting and and he went. Uh, he found me a meeting in Dallas and I went there and I was sober for uh, almost 10 years um, uh, and you know I, I, uh, I, I fell off the wagon uh, uh, and I had a very hard time you know for, uh, for about a year or so went to rehab uh, came out uh, and was doing really well and, uh, until my son died and uh, that, that hit me, uh, as you can imagine, you know, extremely hard. And um, I, I've struggled since then, but uh, I've been I've been good, you know, and uh, I, I I feel well. Um, I, I feel more than capable of doing my job. I uh, I've been good for a, a few months now, and I'm hoping that that, that it will stay that way. David, I'm
1: I am so so sorry. For your loss, you mentioned your son. Your son was Shay. And I just, I wonder if, if we can just talk for just one moment or so about Shay. Sure. What, what was Shay like?
2: He was, uh, he was like me. Um, in that, uh, well, people liked him and he was funny. Um, uh, but he was, kind of, uh, he struggled with, uh, with life in general and uh, I, uh, I struggled with, with trying, to, it was, it's very difficult when, when you have uh, a child that ends up, and, and this is something that I would say to anybody who's listening, please research your family history. If you have children, you know, look into it uh, and see if these problems are there because you're infinitely more likely pass this on to your child, uh, if there is that history in your family. And and for me to say to him, no, you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that, when he looks at me and says, well, you did all of those things and look how successful you are. Um, that, that was the hardest part of all. Um, well, no, it wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was withdrawing from the situation because uh, any expert will tell you that... Um, when you have a child who has addiction problems um, that is depressed or, or whatever, you, you have to let them hit bottom and you have to withdraw from the situation. I was enabling him by giving him money and, and believing him because every liar or every addict is a liar. Um, and I, I've been a liar myself. Um, I, I understand the problem and the way that it works. And, and that's the, the hardest thing of all, knowing you know, that, that your child is suffering but, but not being able you know to be there for him because uh, because you have to let them hit bottom and, and then step in and say hey you know it's all right you know this is uh, this is the way that it works and and your life can be better
1: david Shea was 29 when he passed and you know if you saw some of you in him i'm i'm sure that he was wonderful i'm sure he was so funny and so likable and I would imagine, I mean, I can't imagine, but I would imagine that you never, ever get over something like that. You somehow hope just to get past it and just go day by day. You heard from so many people after Shea passed. What did that mean to you?
2: It, it, it meant the world to me. Um, President Clinton picked up the phone and called me. I had messages from from President Trump and, and President Bush uh, and, you know, people all over uh hell all over the world uh when when they find out about it and it was a tremendous comfort to me um you know that people would think about me at such a time
1: you bet david if i'd like to ask you about rory McElroy for a minute and i appreciate your thoughts on Shay. rory rory's your guy you you go way way back with rory in fact how far back do you go with rory
2: well you know i watched him grow up um and uh you know, and he was another one you know that, that reached out to me, you know, this youngster that uh, I've, I've admired. I've loved him for so long and I'm so proud of him uh, that, uh, you know, he's from this little place, you know, that I come from. And um, he's been a, a tremendous support to me uh, and so kind.
1: You know, David, he, he reached out to you, but you reached out to him. After his Sunday meltdown at the Masters in 2011, and I'm not sure you'll admit to this, but he says you were instrumental in helping him deal with that. That you went and you saw him right, right after you got off the air. Ken, what was that night like, and what did you tell him in the aftermath of that?
2: Well, after he unraveled on the back nine, was it 2011? Yes, yeah, I think it was. Um, I, God, I was so worried, Jim, um, that uh, you know it might affect him for the rest of his career. The, the kind of you know leading by four shots going into the the, the second nine at Augusta, and uh, you know to, to see what happened to him um, was tremendously worrying to me. So I I went round to the the house that that he was where he was staying, and uh, he had a couple of uh, kids there, you know, his friends from school. Uh, in Northern Ireland and they were kicking a football around and in, uh, in the backyard of this house, they were staying at, and they came in and we, we had, uh, you know, a Coke and, uh, I was expecting them to have a few drinks to be honest with you. And, uh, I said, are you going to be all right? And he said to me, he said, if that's the worst day I ever had, he said, I'll be lucky. And I looked at him, I thought, you know, there's a kid that, that's going to be special. And, uh, You know, the attitude that he had towards it, as grown up as he was, as heartbroken as he was, the way that he took it, um, I I knew that he was going to be all right after that. And, of course, he goes out and wins the next major championship by eight shots. Um, He's a special person, and I I don't think that anyone makes the game look more beautiful uh, than he does when when he plays well. Uh, Like I said, you know, I'm I'm incredibly proud of him, and um, I love him very much. Listen up, because this
1: is really key. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, count on Ferguson. Your TV show is still doing extremely well. I want to ask you about Patrick Reed because you had him on your show. You've spent yes. some time with him. You know him pretty well. He's a pretty polarizing guy. Between the yeah. win at the Masters and the loss of the Ryder Cup, he's seen the highs and lows of this season. What do you make of Patrick as a golfer and Patrick the personality on tour?
2: Well, I mean, obviously he's a fantastic player. He's a Masters champion. And like you say, you know, he's kind of a polarizing figure. And every now and then you get one of those um, and in golf, um, you know, we, we've seen them before, whether it's, uh, you know, like a Scott Hoke or, uh, you, know, or you know, Mark Kalkabeke was like that in a, in a, to a certain extent, you know, where, you know, you like people or you don't like them or and players like them or they don't like them, whatever. But I mean, I, I like Patrick Reed, um, I do. And I think he's kind of, uh, you know, he's forging his own path out there. He may not have uh, the uh, the multitudes of friends, you know, that other people have, but he's single-minded. He's a wonderful player, and you know, I had him on my show, and uh, he, he's got he's had some hitches in in his personal life, you know, with uh, you know his wife and, and you know some of the things that have happened, you know, to uh, to her and uh, you know his, his family life and all that. And I think he's done very well. You know, uh, because of that, you know, his college career, there, there was some, yeah, you know, there was some, I don't know, you know, how to put it, even, um, you know, whether or not, you know, he was, uh, yeah, there were kind of cheating allegations, as I recall, uh, you know, but, but he, uh, he's shown nothing but courage, you know, since he's been out on the PGA tour, and, and he's a young man that I like very much.
1: David, I want to say I've done this a long, long time, so I know how challenging this can be. Challenging to get people to open up. Challenging for people to share, you know, the what they're really thinking. You do a wonderful interview, and people are really open and engaging in opening up and speaking to you. How are you able to get them to do so?
2: You know, I, I, I think I ask questions, Jimmy, from a position of weakness, and um, it, it's not that, uh, yeah, and I have guests. I don't have victims. Uh, that would be for Piers Morgan or, or you know, for somebody else. You know, where you, where you want. I mean, I had President Clinton on. I didn't ask him any Monica Lewinsky questions. Holy crap! You know, we spent forty-two million dollars trying to find out the answer to a question I could have told you for eight bucks in five minutes. You know, <laughs> right? And <laughs> uh, you know, so um, people know me, and and they know, you know, my flaws and and where I've come from. And if I ask them a a question, you know, that that might be, you know, embarrassing or whatever, and I try not to do that, to be honest, Um, you know, they they know it's not coming from a mean-spirited place or whatever. You know, I'm interested in in, in who they are, you know, uh, because I like them for a start. You know, I don't have people on my show that I don't like. I'm very lucky when it comes to that, Uh, you know, I'm able to pick and choose. Uh, among the people, some people call up and say, I'd like to be on, you know, or I'll make a phone call. I've just had John McEnroe on, hmm. uh, who I've, I've tried, and he, that'll be next season. And uh, I've got Fred Couples cornered, finally. Freddie's very slippery. God,
0: isn't that something, <laughs> he, uh, Freddy?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, he, he's, uh, he's going to be uh, doing an interview with me on uh, uh, in November. You know, so uh, I've been extremely lucky, you know, in the fact that I've been able to, to have people on that I'm genuinely fond of, uh, and I've, uh, I've I've had the opportunity to spend time with them uh, over the last 20 years. You know, so uh, I I think that's probably why.
1: McEnroe is spectacular, and David, to oh, your point. David, to your point about Freddie. I, look, again, I've done this a long time. It's hard <laughs> not to gush when you talk to Fred Couples. Fred Couples is one of the most amazing personalities and people in that it's almost impossible even to describe why he's so cool. He's just the coolest guy, right? He's just got crazy, crazy it. It's hard not to gush over the guy and turn in your man card.
2: Yeah, he's so laid back, he can hardly see over his pelvis. (laughs)
1: david listen really quickly like like i always say we don't know any of these guys we just how could we we don't really know you know tiger woods i know this much about him he's smart he's really really smart but is tiger woods funny is he funny and if so give me an example i'm looking for that in him
2: well he is funny um and it's kind of evil as well and it's, it's really unfortunate You know, that that he's not able to be the person that that I saw grow up on the golf course, Um, you know, because we kind of beat that out of him, uh, following him from his courtesy car to the locker room, to the putting green, to the practice tee, to the golf course, and then in reverse all the way back, you know, and in his private life as well. Um, I I would love to have him on my show. But to be honest with you, you know, I I haven't actually, I've never asked him. Uh, because uh, you know, I don't want the sort of pat answers. The, the kind of uh, I don't, I, I don't want them to have the force field up. Um, and uh, you know, I, I really need them to be vulnerable. And, and to, it's not like I'm going to ask them, you know, questions about the fire hydrant or you know any of that crap. But you know, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to be able to show people who the, the kid that I watched. You know, grow up. You know, we're walking along the fairway, and and he would say, you know, under the bill of his cap, so he couldn't be lip He'd say, "Hey, Ferdy, what?" He'd say, "What do you call a black guy flying an airplane?" I would say, "I don't know." He "A pilot, you fucking racist." <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> you know, and and that's that's the kid that I know, uh, and and the one that I want on the show. Uh, that uh, you know that, that we haven't been able to say, and, and he's getting closer. Jimmy, uh, you know, you can tell I think it was not this president's cup last year or a couple of years but maybe the one before where he was assistant captain it really made a huge difference in his life where he felt he was able to be of service to the younger players and whatever I think it softened him and made him feel more of a part of the, the professional golf community uh, to the extent that uh, you know he's he's been moving in that direction for the last 2 or 3 years. And I, I think we see it in the post-round interviews and in his demeanor on the golf course and, and how, just how, you know, how grateful he was to win again. Um, and for me, as a broadcaster, you know, you try to be impartial and uh, you, you can't root for anybody. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if, if you weren't rooting for Tiger Woods, uh, at the Tour Championship, really, after all that he's been through and and uh, the roller coaster that his life has been, you know, the, there's something wrong. It, it was a wonderful thing to see, and the game is so much better with him in it.
1: It was really something to see, David. That was absolutely something. David, leave us with this. I know that on. Faraday off tour you get this quite a bit but I, I maybe can answer it one more time because I think people listening would love to hear this everybody it might be tired to you but everybody wants to know your dream foursome for those who have not heard okay. this can you share this with our listeners here what's your dream foursome
2: well my dream foursome and I'm going to pick four so it will be a five something but the only reason you know that I'm picking four is I can't play anymore <laughs> I haven't played golf and a lot of people don't realize it for 11 years I got run over uh, mm. riding my bicycle. Uh, I got run over by a truck, you know, pulling a trailer full of lawn equipment, got me with both axles and kind of crushed me all the way down the left side where my left arm is crippled and, and I can't close my my left hand. Mm. So, uh, you know, if I were to pick four people to play in, a course, and one would be Jack because I, he's one of the very few uh, of the, the, the greats, you know, that I never played with. Uh, one would be Annika Sornstein. Uh She's been a a great friend of mine, a you know, Hall of Famer. I introduced her uh, at the Hall of Fame, which was a huge privilege. Um, I, I would play with Arnold. Uh, I played with him three times uh, in my career, and uh, I remember every shot that he hit. I, I have no uh, recollection of how I played, but I remember Arnold, and uh, it was you knew you you were in the presence of greatness, just uh, not just as a player, as a person, you know, being with him. And uh, and, I, and I would play one more time with my son.
1: David, I cannot tell you how much this conversation means to me. I can't tell you how much this conversation means to people listening to it. I cannot tell you how much I admire you, how much I respect you. I want to make sure everybody listening knows that your show is going to return and it could be coming close to them. Go to FaradayOffTour.com, FaradayOffTour.com. David, you are absolutely the best. I am so glad that we got caught up, and I did not mean to keep you this long, but I could talk to you for the rest of the day. David, it is so (laughs) great to hear from you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Jimmy. You're a great friend.
1: David, you are a great friend, and I'm proud to say so. David, thank you very much. Building professionals, you know I shout out to you virtually every single day, and the reason for that, I feel really strongly about this. Check it. If you're a contractor, a builder or a remodeler, Lumber Liquidators Pro Plus is the only partner you will ever need for all of your flooring needs. I say that because of their special pro only pricing and their dedicated support. LL Pro Plus will help you get your flooring jobs done quickly and profitably maybe you're worried about selection and availability. You should not be, because Lumber Liquidators has over 150 million, with an M, million square feet of flooring available, with over 100,000 square feet in stock in most stores. And they stock professional grade adhesives, underlayment, molding, tools, fasteners, and grout, so you get exactly what you need when you have to have it. If you're too busy to pick up your flooring, that's also not a problem. The LL Pro Plus team's got you covered. They'll deliver it right to your job. And with the LL Pro Plus, you can even get a business line of credit. Put the LL Pro Plus flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidators store or go to LumberLiquidators.com slash prosales today. LumberLiquidators.com slash prosales. It's a truly amazing conversation with David Faraday. I couldn't respect, appreciate, or admire him any more than I do for sharing his story with us. And I know many of you feel the same way and, in fact, would like to reach out to him. You should do so. I would encourage it. You can find David on Twitter at @ferretwit. That's at ferretwit. F-E-H-E-R-T-W-I-T. Make sure you do that. I'm sure he'll appreciate it as much as we appreciate him. In the meantime... I'm going to leave my voicemail machine alone for this episode, but we will hit play on that next week. So if that's something you're looking forward to, make sure you get subscribed so next week's episode and every episode thereafter gets to your listening device automatically. It will find you. You don't need to look for it. I appreciate your support and time as always, and I'll catch you right back here next Wednesday. See you then.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.